So tonight uh, we are having a discussion on tax and especially on the taxation of the digital economy. Uh, quite an interesting topic. Uh, we had touched on it the last time. We were speaking about Africa and tax. And tonight again I'm joined by Darlingstone who is the uh, Commissioner for Domestic Taxes in Liberia. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself and then we will go right into the discussion. Darlingstone, welcome. Thank you, Christine. Like you said, I'm the Commissioner for Taxes here at the Liberia Revenue Authority in Liberia. I've been in this capacity now for the past um, eight going to nine years. In tax administration, I'm pretty running to what, 15 years right now. So I think quite, quite some experience right now. But yeah, thank you, Christine. Okay, uh, so definitely everyone expects to get a wealth of uh, information and experience from this discussion with Darlingstone. So uh, to get us started, uh, tonight we want to speak about the OECD proposal on taxation of the digital economy. And then we will look at that, uh, how that affects African countries. And uh, this is especially if we get to the point where we are saying that uh, the OECD proposal is binding to the African countries or if it's not binding. So if it's binding, then we will dig deeper to see what that means for African countries. So, um, I personally I practice tax and this is a very a topic that is of keen interest to me. I'm actually doing my research on it. So um, I, it, it's very interesting uh, to have this discussion. So Darlingstone, I'll let you uh, start off by giving a general overview of what uh, the OECD proposed solution is, uh, what is the digital economy and where all this discussion about taxing the digital economy and the OECD started and where uh, the two come in you know like why is oecd interested in taxing the digital economy and, and who is oecd to begin with uh, for someone who doesn't know uh, darlingstone yeah so let's like you said so i i'll try to put it in in context in in, in a short space of time as much as possible because it's such a complex topic right um so the oecd is the organization of Economic Cooperation and Development is it's a European-based organization that is a major player in the international tax arena. Um, in addition to works done by the United Nations um, Special Committee on Tax that has been constituted over a couple of years by the General Assembly of the United Nations. So um, in 2013, the group of um, 20 nations um, thought about the challenges that were being posed by trading or trading over the digital space. So then they charged the OECD with um, coming up with some proposals in how to solve some of the challenges that were occurring as a result of um, trade through the digital space. So in, 20, in 2019, the OECD in a public um, consultation document came up with three, three basic approaches to solving the problems or solving the tax challenges of digitization of the, of the economy. Uh, and these three 
were known as one of the um, marketing intangibles, use of participation, and the significant economic presence that a multinational uh, had in a particular jurisdiction. As a result of these public consultations, the OECD did not um, find a consensus, um, and then it decided to come up with a unified approach. So it did that in what it is now called Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 of the OECD um, addresses to solve the problems arising as a result of digitizing the economy. Now, Pillar 1 has to do with um, those multinational entities whose income or whose annual turnover is around 20 billion or exceeds globally 20 billion euros. Now, there are two basic um, thresholds that Pillar 1 speaks about. Now, it has this revenue threshold of 20 billion. And then um, in order to have a nexus to a particular country, that multinational must have a profit to tax revenue of over 10%. Now, for, for a particular country, for a nexus to occur between the multinational and a taxing jurisdiction, 20 to 30% of the 10% of the revenue, right, must be attributed to that country, meaning the market jurisdiction. Now, the so-called market jurisdiction and the so-called country of residence. For countries, say, like, um, for a country, for a particular country to participate or to exercise its taxing right. So let's let's go back a bit. Um, pillar 1, Pillar 2, OECD Pillar 1, Pillar 2. Pillar 1 has to do with um, allocation of taxing rights between um, source country and country of residence. And Pillar 2 has to do with the minimum tax rule. So in order for a country to exercise on Pillar 1, its taxing right, um, the MAE must generate a revenue of about 1 million from that jurisdiction. Or if the country is a, has a GDP, of less than 4 billion euros, um, the MAE must generate a revenue of about 250,000 euros for the Nexus rule to be established in order for a market jurisdiction to exercise its taxing right over that transaction. So like I said, it's a bit, it's a bit complex. Um, so if we bring it in a context, say, of, 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 of Africa or say Kenya specifically, so in order for Kenya to participate in the, in order for Kenya to exercise its taxing right over a M&E, right, that trades through the digital space, the M&E must have generate or must generate a revenue of about 1 million from Kenya. And the M&E must have a global turnover of not less than 20 billion euros. And the MAE must have a profit to revenue ratio of not less than 10%.
that will ensure Kenya exercising its taxing right for whatever transaction that MAE has in Kenya. And like I said, in order for Kenya to participate in what the rule calls the residual profit, um, that Kenya must at least have about 20 to 30% of the revenue exceeding the 10% revenue threshold. So it's a bit complex. One of the things that this, this OECD rule has is the complexity of, of, of it, right? The complexity of one, understanding it, and two, the, 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 the application of the rules. But that's in a summary, that's what pillar one is, uh, um, um, Christine. Okay, okay. Um, as anyone listening to this, you may wonder what exactly is this that we are speaking about. But I think as Darlingston is saying, there's some complexity in this. But uh, to uh, to break it down a bit, so when we say an M&E, uh, which is an in-scope m and &E, which has met the threshold that Darlingston has said, uh, which is that it's making a global revenue of uh, 20 billion euros, uh, so that it can come within the scope of even uh, the entities that we are speaking about, uh, being it being possible uh, to be taxed by market jurisdictions. We, are, we think, for instance, um, is something uh, at an entity like Facebook. So Facebook, for, for Kenya to be able to tax Facebook's profits, Facebook must make a global uh, revenue uh, of, of 20 billion euros. And then, uh, in addition to that, um, Facebook must derive at least 1 million euros uh, of revenue from Kenya. And, and even further, to go further, for Kenya, for Kenya to be able to be allocated any revenue uh, that is coming from uh, Facebook, then there's the, the next rule of uh, the percentage of profitability of 25% uh, of the residual profit must be it must exceed i think darlingstone put it much better than i would there on the quantum of how much can be allocated to kenya in short uh the situation as has been proposed is such that the mnes that can be taxed are very few because darlingstone i, I don't know uh if it would be right to say that very few mnes would fall in the category where they're making global turnovers of 20 billion euros uh well of course the most profitable ones are that's one but even when we are speaking about mnes uh the initially it was just going to be digital uh mnes that are making these uh global revenues but right now it's all mnes excluding the extractive sector and the financial sector what that means is that uh, we are not only speaking about MNEs that can make this sort of um, revenues from the digital sector. They could also be in other sectors, uh, as long as it's not financial or extractive, so that they can fall within the scope of this. So, which, again, uh, there's a bit of complexity in that, but then also is that uh, these rules were initially going to be targeted at the digital economy. But towards the end of the discussion at the OECD, uh, when the U.S. came in, the U.S. Pro said that uh, if they are only targeted at the digital businesses, then they will be against the interest of the U.S. because a majority of the big uh, digital businesses are U.S. resident companies. So they said um, that 
their proposal is that the MNEs that fall within scope whose profits can be reallocated to market jurisdictions throughout the world need not just be digital businesses, but they could be other businesses as long as they're not within the financial or the extractive sector. Uh, I, I was hoping to make this a bit easy, but I don't think there's there's another way to just really break it down in a much uh, easier sense. Exactly. It, it, it's, just, it's just so complex. But I, I love what um, the ATAF counter-proposal is. Because like you rightly said, um, if the 20 billion threshold remains, that means um, almost all African countries that have signed up to the rule right, will not tax the residual profit. But the ATF is proposing that the global turnover should not be greater than 250 million euros, which is far, far less, which is in the scope of most African government GDPs. So I, I think with the, I mean, with ATAP proposal, which was not taken into consideration, uh, most African countries who have taxed the um, taxed uh, the MAE operating in the country. And just to add to what you said, granted, I agree. And that which, uh, I mean, my, my personal opinion on the, the, the expansion beyond the digital economy, right, to, to expand, the, and expand the scope generally, I think it even puts um, African countries in a more precarious position in terms of its ability to exercise its taxing rights. Because 20 billion euros turn over for a, a, a global... Uh, the global turnover for an, um, an M&E um, will definitely put African countries at a disadvantage. That's why we 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 um, we agree with it after that the rule should have been 250 million euros, which will have fallen into line with most African countries' GDP instead of the 250 billion euros. And then I mean also the next factor. Uh, um, an MAE operating a one million euro revenue from a, I mean, from an economy um, before the market jurisdiction exercise or can even think about exercising its taxing rights. So, if you ask me whether um, it will put more revenue into the coffers of African countries, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, like I said from the beginning, one, I think the rules are still complex. Um, and then $250 billion turnover. I, I, I mean, I think the like, countries like Liberia is, is, I mean, is too huge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but Darlingstone, even for a country like Kenya, because I was looking at uh, uh, in the year 2020, 2021, Kenya's uh, GDP was placed at US dollar 100 billion. 100, uh, uh, the, it's within the threshold of, it's above the 40 billion uh, euros. So like Kenya would need, uh, because it's not in the lower GDP category, uh, for Kenya to be able to tax uh, some of these uh, profits, uh, the profits, the entities would need to derive more than 1 million euros from Kenya. Uh, because you see, and you see that disadvantages it because one, how do you even determine, for instance, let's focus on uh, the digital economy, that Facebook 
has derived 1 million euros from Kenya. It could be that it can derive such uh, incomes from Kenya. Netflix could, YouTube could, but uh, look at the situation of how these digital businesses operate. Uh, Facebook will target Kenyan, Ken Kenyan people for advertising. So, uh, and, and, and how this happens is that if you want to promote uh, a post that you've done on Twitter, what you do is that uh, when you click uh, the promote button, uh, you choose your audience. I in Kenya can choose my audience uh, to be in Liberia. So I'm a Kenyan advertiser who is targeting people, users in Liberia. And then what Facebook does is that it targets for me those people based on their likes, their clicks, their history of search, so that I am paying Facebook from Kenya and, and the cost is, is quite low in Kenya shilling and I'm targeting uh, users in Liberia. So in such a case, where is the income really being derived from? Is it be, be being derived from me who is paying or from the users who are being targeted and who are the true audience uh, who is enabling Facebook to earn this income? And I think it's such things when you say that these businesses are deriving this amount of income from a country. How, did, how do you determine or even consider something like... Uh, Netflix, uh, someone is streaming this uh, revenues, how they are paid is that you have your credit card, which is being deducted on these amounts. First of all, the government has no visibility of how much Netflix is getting from, a, from their country. So we really are entirely going to rely on Netflix to tell us, uh, to give a global breakdown of every single country where they are in to say this is uh, how much revenue i got from liberia this is how much i got from south africa this is how much i got from uganda and then based on what is given uh, then we can say that you're falling within threshold or you're not falling within threshold some i mean some some data from facebook statistics in 2020 um the revenue revenue from facebook alone in for the region us and um and canada was about 40.5 billion billion dollars right um for for but for so for um for africa or the rest of the world it was around 7.6 billion dollars mm -hmm. now if further decomposing into individual african countries it it would even be far less than the 1 million 1 million euro revenue turnover that that, that should be attributed to a particular market jurisdiction. Now, so uh, follow research shows that um, the uh, um, internet users in Africa is just about eleven point five percent of the worldwide internet users in the world. So um, the, the 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 actors in the digital economy, those multinational enterprises, um, will forever. In I mean, my opinion, it says will forever not be taxed in in any African country if if, if you say that. True, true. Right. Yeah. So it's it, it completely it completely rather pulls us, you know, as developing countries in Africa, completely pulls us as a I mean at a disadvantage. That's why um I think Kenya and Nigeria are at I remember are the two African countries that did not sign up to the rules back in july of 2021 yeah um yeah so for because you know kenya had this digital service tax i think about five percent 
Nigeria did not. But Nigeria, one of the reasons Nigeria did not participate in this, in this, in this uh, pillar one and pillar two rules of the OECD was one that the banning arbitration clause, right, that um, that that will arise, that potentially will arise um, as a result of some dispute and uh, during the implementation of the rules. Nigeria said that contradicted or that came into conflict with its domestic law. So it could not participate. Kenya said that it, it puts Kenya at, at a disadvantage because, like I said, um, it, it will take a long time for Kenya to exercise its taxing right over a particular jurisdiction. What I even think put most African countries at a disadvantage is extending the rules beyond the digital space. Right. So if an MAE comes and operates physically in Liberia, you are saying to us that the MAE should not be taxed in Liberia on, on, until those rules, all right, as complex as they are, you know, are satisfied or are met. So, I mean, would that put, like I said, would that enable African countries to generate or to domestically mobilize revenue? I don't think so. Yeah, no. I, you know, actually, Darlingstone, I, I also think, as you said, uh, it's not like, for instance, Facebook is not deriving any income from these African countries. Based on the statistics that you're giving, they're actually deriving good income when you compare by the African standards from these African countries. Yet you're told because you haven't met a threshold that has been put for you to qualify to tax Facebook, you should not tax just because someone has set a threshold you know that's that's the problem you know and then even as you're saying uh, there's other multinationals consider like general electric electric yeah uh, GE has offices all over in in africa offering different things it's a multinational or uh, consider coca-cola let's pick coca-cola for instance so you're told that uh if it's like one of these in scope uh, entities let's say coca-cola uh, is able to derive uh this 20 billion euros in in revenue globally then you're told then coca-cola falls within uh the scope and then you're told you cannot tax coca-cola uh, because unless your revenue in the, that Coca-Cola is deriving from your jurisdiction is 1 million euros. I mean, these rules, in honesty, I think uh, it, it's very skewed against African countries. And I like what uh, the, initial, uh, the initial direction that OECD had taken about the market intangibles, the significant economic presence, uh, such directions and, and, and user participation I think that was somewhat a more uh, a more fair way of looking at some of the things. You know, like for instance, uh, like the European Commission when they wanted to introduce the European Digital Service Tax, they were looking at how many users do you have in a country. Like for instance, uh, are the users located in Uganda, for instance? Can we trace and see like the uh, a user? Is use is is uh, is creating value by accessing these platforms in Uganda. Then uh, you can set and say if this number of users are in Uganda, then you have created nexus for yourself. And now this entity that has created nexus for itself, then it should account for um, for the tax in certain number of ways, which is how the Kenyan digital service tax is working. So under the, uh, Kenyan digital service tax is 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 such that. 
if a user is in Kenya and this is de determined for instance if the payment is coming from a Kenyan bank account if the IP address is located in Kenya if the download is happening uh, within also again uh, on an IP address in Kenya or you know like there's any way you can link the transaction to Kenya then that user is uh, determined to be in Kenya and uh, that entity which is deriving that income is deemed to be driving and accruing income from Kenya, which becomes taxable under the Kenyan Income Tax Act. And it's supposed to account for 1.5, uh, for tax at 1.5% of the gross revenue that it's earning from Kenya. So things like the streaming services like Netflix, YouTube, uh, the, as long as the user who has clicked on YouTube is using an IP address uh, registered to Kenya, YouTube is required to either look for a, a representative in Kenya and account for 1.5% uh, as tax on its gross revenue that is earning from Kenya. Of course, it's, it's, it's and uh, the UK uh, digital service tax is also uh, similarly structured, only that in the UK it's not all services. Uh, as wide as the Kenyan one and also there's a revenue threshold in the UK you must the entity must derive a certain amount of revenue from the UK uh, for it now to be subject to the digital services tax in the UK but Darlingstone it's quite uh, peculiar how things moved from the digit just the digital businesses to things to other entities and you're saying now we should not even tax these other entities unless unless they meet this thre threshold yeah exactly Right, because the initial challenge that that the initial challenges rather that were targeted to be solved were the challenges posed as a result of trading through the digital space. Uh, and but then we, I mean, the scope just got expanded. So, I mean, my thoughts are that on the one hand, African countries have been encouraged to domestically mobilize revenue for sustainable growth and development in concert with the sustainable and development goal of the United Nations. On the other hand, the major champion um, of international taxation in the international arena is drawing up rules that are counterintuitive to um, and developing countries' ability to generate more revenue to provide public services to its people. Where do, I mean, so uh, um, so that's why I normally say to, I, I normally say to uh, um, some of the fora we, we go to, I think some of the stance from um, the African Tax Administration Forum supported by the AU should grow more louder. Like, um, so if you go, if, if you see what the Europeans do, so the group, the G20, the G7, and even the EU Commission as a whole, they have a strong voice. They take part strongly in the narrative of the international tax arena. Should the EU do same? I think the EU should be even more louder because we are the so-called market jurisdictions in Africa. Right. And, and then we, I mean, we in Africa need the revenue to provide the public services. I, I, I'm saying that I'm so I'm, that's what I'm saying that African countries, especially the the AU, should be more proactive in these discussions than they are currently. Our voice should be even more louder than we are currently. Because why should we be told how to tax transactions in our own economy? Yeah, yeah, darling, so I agree, and I think the other thing to say is that uh, the 
especially on the digital side, uh, like Europe, the US, they have they are mature markets. Meaning, like if you consider like Amazon, uh, the market is becoming saturated. So they are looking for more emerging and uh, new markets where they can launch to. Darlingston, you agree that Africa is rich. It's it's an opportunity for anyone who is anyone who is looking to explore the digital economy because, as you said, the internet penetration is still not that much uh, big yet. E-commerce hasn't peaked that much yet. You know, other than like maybe the Africa, uh, like within Africa, there's like Jumia. In Africa, there's not much of like Amazon setup here. Uh, some some yeah. countries uh, like uh, maybe South Africa have their own domestic. Uh, have their own domestic e-commerce platforms but the the digital economy within africa is very it's it's left to be exploited and therefore i would i would say as you're saying uh, especially through the africa union and the africa continental free trade area if africa were able to come up with a single digital market where when you're going to when you are speaking about thresholds don't look at, at the threshold of liberia don't look at the threshold of djibouti who 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 is very small Djibouti in their GDP? They will never even meet meet the two thousand the two thousand and fifty thousand um, euros to be able to tax at all. You know, not that most yeah. African countries in any case uh, really will not be able to. Uh, so if Africa had a common uh, digital market, while you're saying when you speak about Africa and the digital economy, you're speaking not about one single country, but the whole of the African continent, then there will be greater ne- uh, greater negotiating power. So that if even for instance, uh, Facebook or uh, let's say Amazon says that uh, we we will not um, supply Kenya because they have a digital service tax. If it's within across Africa, telling them then it's fine, don't supply to any African country. The, there's greater pinch to them. It's not just a small country that they're saying we will not uh, supply to. So, so I agree. I agree. Uh, the Africa Union, though, uh, can take this up. Uh, even if uh, it's 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 a bit encouraging because of ATAF and what ATAF is able to do, and ATAF seems to be making quite some good headway with that, with having the Africa Union um, appoint them as the key tax you know tax experts for the African continent. But I think it's to just give it uh, a bit more backup, you know, uh, so that even yeah, in the negotiations to have Africa Union speak and say you know like listen to ataf and to have african governments when like for instance the kenya free trade area with the us is being negotiated to put clauses there that suggest that there's an africa union and there's ataf and so that kenya does not first go and negotiate for its own uh, digital trade agreements with the us you know uh, but exactly mm-hmm. i mean so if, if you notice what the europeans do so they have these various directives. So what the OECD would do, um, the European Union, as as I know, as a political geo entity, they they domesticate those rules, um, not necessarily accepting all of them, but they domesticate those rules and and give them as directives to the individual members to adhere to. So the European Union, as a geopolitical entity, is following closely the narrative that comes out of the OECD. That's what I anticipate that the AU will do. Right. Right now, some of the, I mean, some of the directives are still being championed by the OECD on the African continent. The directives on, 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 on transfer pricing, the directives on exchange of information for tax purposes, 
the directive on the digitalization or how to um, address the challenges coming out of the um, the digital economy. All those conversations are being led by the OECD. Where is the African Union or where is ETAF that should be championing all these things? So, I mean, I, I believe in order for us, I, I know the most African countries, like I said, except Nigeria and Kenya from my best we, you know, um, um, we, uh, recall of, of, of thoughts, have not signed off to Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 of the OECD rules. But almost all African countries have. Um, is it too late? I don't think so. I think we can still be more louder on you know, where the African voice is concerned, through, through the AU or through ATA. Mm-hmm. I believe that um, where Pillar 1 is concerned, we're still at a disadvantage. Even though out of scope and the extractive sector and in, in, in the regulated financial sector are out of scope, but there are several more industries that are in scope that will put um, the market jurisdiction at a major disadvantage where exercising the taxing rights are concerned. Mm-hmm. So I think that we still need to exert more efforts through the EU and, and ETA in order for the African voice to be heard in order for us to ensure that more of our taxing rights right, are, are, are exercised by market jurisdictions. Mm. Because to, to a large extent, they say we are, you know, uh, um, um, uh, we are net importers of capital, granted. So these capitals are, expo- are um, exploited here in Africa. Returns on these capitals are received from what and from those expectations that have been done in Africa. It is only fair that those returns are taxed accordingly in the market's jurisdiction that they, you know, that they, you know, that they are exploited from. I think this is fair. Yeah. And so in order for us to, like I said, in order for us to get and not to be too, not to have this major disadvantage that I think the, the um, African countries will get out of Pillar 1, I think we can, we should still be louder through the AU and through ETA. Yeah, yeah. And yes, uh, Kenya and Nigeria do not sign. Uh, you're right in the recollection. And I also think um, if African countries, I was surprised to actually see countries like South Africa signed it. You know, the ones that you think uh, they might give a bit of a pushback, but they did sign on it. And um, if it was negotiated in such a way that it wasn't each individual African country signing, but maybe the African Union or through ATAF is the one that was signing, I think there might have been a greater pushback. Uh, but I also um, I think that these uh, in-scope entities, even if uh, the extractive sector, the regulated financial services are out, there's quite a big part of the service sector which if entities are able to fall within that scope of 20 billion euros, then they fall within that. Uh, and within the service sector, this could very greatly impact uh, the how you tax these entities in Africa. And anyone could fall within that uh, service sector. Of course, uh, I, I'm not certain of their revenue thresholds, but think of like people within the hospitality sectors, like the big hotels across Africa. Think about like... Um, the providers of consulting services across Africa, maybe audit services. Uh, these these ones, uh, they could fall within the scope. And then you'll be told at that point, you can no longer tax them 
other than through pillar one and, and and then i think also what happens is that there's an unfair advantage that's being given to foreign entities over domestic entities and in this way uh, consider that if the, the small entities even across africa let's even think of the big e-commerce platform in africa jumia uh, so let's say jumia will never fall within scope uh, so uh, this scope of this 20 billion um, euros turnover so it's likely that uh, it it will have to keep being taxed out of the pillar one meaning that well african countries are allowed to tax these small um, these small entities the global ones the big multinationals will slip out and i think that gives quite an unfair advantage to some entities over others uh, and the argument has always been the reason why the digital service tax should not be applied is because it disadvantages uh, like uh, like foreign businesses like uh, the digital service tax in Kenya only applies to foreign businesses because domestic businesses are subject to uh, corporate tax in Kenya as other yeah, businesses. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. But now the reason why uh, the target of the digital service tax is foreign businesses is because foreign businesses are not falling within the tax bracket of Kenya. That's why the digital service tax is targeting them. But the argument has always been that the foreign entities are being unfairly targeted. But the OECD pillar one I think is disadvantaging domestic businesses over multinationals and i and i don't know what darlingstone you think about that especially imagine uh, as someone within the service sector who falls within the scope of of pillar one and you're told you cannot tax them well someone who is so small within the same service sector in liberia is being taxed under the domestic corporation tax they really are at a great disadvantage one can unfairly compete because they are not paying tax or the small one cannot compete and it's already barely making it uh, so i think other than even uh, making it difficult to mobilize tax it's disadvantaging uh, domestic companies yeah completely i agree with you so um statistics also show that around 281 million there are around 281 million online shoppers in africa and like you said uh, um, a majority internally domestically they shop through jomia and and, and other online platforms right but like you said they are subject to the domestic tax rules in the, the various jurisdictions in you know in africa and again if a resident entity operating in a market jurisdiction is not subject to the same rules as the as the local entity granted they will be at a disadvantage they would definitely be at a disadvantage because so when when amazon can come and and generate revenue in kenya or in liberia or in nigeria and not being taxed at the same rate because of these complex rules because of these thresholds as jumia and other online platforms are taxed in their local jurisdictions obviously the local the uh, and these local platforms will be at a disadvantage because these international MNEs, these multinationals, they might be providing more incentives for ordinary citizens in Africa or in some African countries to use their platforms other than the local platforms that are being um, and that are available to use on the African continent. Right. So, I mean, so again, <laughs> 
I mean, that's that, that's where all, all of the um, all of the complexities, all of the disadvantages of Peter one, you know, for you know, for market jurisdictions are concerned. Again, um, most 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 countries in Africa were not given the time enough to go through these materials, digest these materials, discuss these materials with you know, um, and relevant policymakers in the country before making an informed decision as to should I sign up or should I not sign up? What are the advantages or what are the disadvantages if I don't sign up or if I sign up? And then all of a sudden, when the rules were being further drafted for implementation after they were signed up to in July of 2021, October of 2020 began the, 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 the crafting of the implementation rules. Then all of these in scope, not in scope, beyond, I mean, the scope beyond the digital, the digital economy, all of them came into being. Then it became more clearer as to what we're signed up for, what we're not signed up for. Are they, are they, are they to provide more revenue to the African countries? or the market jurisdictions as they term it or not. So it became even more clearer that, hey, we don't think that revenue would be even more mobilized for market jurisdiction or market, market jurisdiction will not, will not have the ability to exercise their taxing rights that are allocated to them as a result of all these thresholds as a result of all these complexities that are expressed under pillar one of the OECD rules. Uh, yeah, I agree. Darlington, it was very rushed. It, it almost happened like the US, you have been discussing this all along, OECD deserts the three initial approaches, picks up another, another one, just when you're starting to understand it. A new rule is introduced before you even <laughs> decide that, you know, what are we going to do as a country? The U.S. comes says that uh, the in-scope entities are not just digital, but all the businesses. Before you realize what this means for your uh, other uh, non-digital businesses, which you possibly That's are not a, yeah. even forecast on. It's too yeah. late, you know. Yes, it's too late. Yeah. It's absolutely too late. <laughs> then you're just right. given a document to sign. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, I think we could go on and on. But I, I hope anyone listening to this, um, you, you possibly think through it. Think through what is really the situation we are dealing with right here. It's just it's the revenue mobilization that uh, Africa is skewed against Africa. It has always been skewed against source countries, but right now it's in fact even giving greater mileage, if you ask me, to these resident uh, countries. Uh, but even uh, more than that is what it's doing to the local uh, industries, industries and companies who are trying to come up and you're competing with someone who even your government cannot, you know, put their hand on to tax uh, because they have been exempt by this uh, global in the air entity that has set a threshold, you know, it's quite, quite an interesting discussion and some thoughts you can have uh, there. Uh, Darlingstone, you yeah. can give your closing remarks and then we will wrap it up for tonight. Well, like you said, so we could go on, go on with, you know, with this, this interesting topic. But I think what um, African countries um, should do is to further strengthen, strengthen their um, domestic laws, domestic rules, 
And there's a possibility of what they call um, treaty override, where they, um, the latter of a law can trump a previous law um, on, a, on a domestic um, jurisdiction. Is that a route for some African countries to follow and um, to override some treaty provisions under the OECD rules? Might be. Mm -hmm. um, because, like I said, um, my opinion is that it's, it's, it's about hard time that we move away from this dependency syndrome and look within to, to, to mobilize our own revenue. And some of the ways to mobilize it is through um, I'm taxing the digital economy and taxing it rightly. I, I'm, 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 am I a proponent of um, um, bilateral imposition of tax on the digital economy versus multilateralism? It's a good school of thought. I'm, 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 I'm in between the, good, the, the two schools of thought um, because multilateralism on the one hand could put a market jurisdiction at some disadvantage when it's not negotiated well. Bilateral imposition could say, I mean, this is my country. This is my. This is, this is where you trade, and, and, and as a result of your commercial or financial activities being uh, occurring in my country, so it should be taxed according to my domestic rules. Is that a good way to go? Again, I'm indifferent to the two, but my parting words is that let's 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 continue to strengthen our domestic rules and let. Um, the AU being led on, on where, where, the ta where, where taxation is concerned, um, ATAR be even more louder to ensure that um, we exercise African countries, whether it's, it's, it's the continent speaking at one, uh, at one first or individual African countries, but let's ensure that we are not put at the disadvantage where pillar one, where the rules on a pillar one of the OECD um, 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 standard on taxation of the digital economy, which has now been expanded to cover other sectors and beyond the digital space is concerned, that we can assert more of our rights in order to mobilize more revenue and provide more public services to our individual uh, and people in, um, where individual countries on the African continent is concerned. So that would be my parting words, um, 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 Christine, and, and thank you so much for such interesting intriguing topic I, I think it was a great time yeah thanks a lot uh darling soon and i think we we will pick up on pillar two uh pillar two is not entirely bad if you ask me it has some good proposals yeah. there especially yeah i have similar i have similar perception mm. yeah, definitely mm, especially yeah. on the global minimum tax and also like how you can exempt certain transactions from um from the agreements from the double tax agreements especially when there's abuse of treaty and failure to pay tax, all that. Uh, but we could pick up that a bit more. And also uh, on the discussion that you just hinted on, whether it's a multilateral approach or bilateral approach, very interesting because uh, you see uh, there are some, I think, Asian countries uh, who are trying to negotiate um, like a almost bilateral kind of uh, agreement on the digital side. You know they're trying to look for such a solution which which i think it's quite interesting to watch and see how it happens uh but mm. it was very nice uh to have this chat and we hope anyone who listens to this at least uh they can uh think through it and see what real options uh 
are out there for Africa to explore. Uh, but from us uh, for today, we say goodbye and thank you very much for those who listen to this.